These are the tribulations of Paulette. household general manager husband Dave watches me carry grocery bags into the house from not one but two supermarkets, Wegmans and Whole Foods. Jesus, you bought a lot of stuff, he says, as he reaches for a giant kettle chip bag. He looks at the price. These are expensive. You guys are good for about four of those a week, I say. Will you give me a hand here? Dave empties a Wegmans bag that contains a dozen boxes of Kleenex. Why do we need all this Kleenex? No one's had a cold all winter. We're using it as toilet paper, I say. It was a bad habit that's gotten out of control. What are you talking about, Dave asks. The truth is that when Susanna, our housekeeper, realized that Dave had lost his job, she assumed that she'd be the next to go. As a result, she's brushed up on all sorts of things that used to go by the wayside, like dusting behind the beds and vacuuming the basement stairs. She started using Fabuloso, the Brazilian Windex that has an olfactory addictiveness. Dave thinks she mops the driveway with it. I can smell that stuff all the way down in the Pete's parking lot, he says. What the hell's the matter with Pine Sol? Then Susanna started playing Martha Stewart with our toilet paper. First, she folded the loose edges into a triangle, like they do at hotels. The boys loved it, but became enslaved by it. After they'd use the bathroom, I'd hear Ma, the dreaded summons to their fetid chamber to craft the necessary redo on the triangle. Susanna, noticing that we both liked and emulated her toilet paper art, took it one step further. She bought colorful dinosaur and flower stickers to affix the point of the triangle back in place. By then, I was concerned that the kids were trashing a good amount of toilet paper just trying to get the sticker off and salvage it. I pointed this out to Susanna, who adopted yet another new tactic. She curls the loose ends of the toilet paper into a perfect rosette that sits atop the roll. No one can replicate it, and it looks too good to use. So now we wipe our butts with Kleenex. Dave opens the bills at the kitchen counter as I continue to put away the groceries. Three hundred bucks to clean Caroline's rug, he asks? Well, since we spilled the red wine all over it, I offered to pay for it, and she took me up on it. She served the red wine. It should be her problem, Dave says, and we agree on that. As I finish putting the groceries away, I get a familiar little stab. I need some physical attention. Rather than face rejection by Dave, I ask him if he could please go to the basement and vacuum up around the cat litter boxes a place that Susanna won't go near because she really hates cats. I figure that'll take him about 15 minutes, which is plenty of time for me to have a go with the intruder. I take myself upstairs on the premise of making our bed and doing some laundry. To be honest, I've been in a physical knot of want since my high school reunion. I keep thinking about Ted and how great it was to kiss him. Tormented and unfulfilled, I crave more all the time. I know it's a bad place to go, and there's a reason I haven't been there. But it does take its toll. Some days, though, I'm happy and hopeful. 
until I catch a glimpse of myself in a mirror. This is bad, bad, bad. I don't go to Dr. Fish anymore because I can't justify the cost. And I've developed envy for the gals who still can afford Dr. Fish, even if some of them are so overfilled that they have to talk out of the corners of their mouths, like Popeye. So here I am again, in my one solitary source of pleasure, my daily ritual, talons affixed to the bluff. I plug in the intruder and conjure up images of Ted, then Dave, then Higgins from The Tonight Show. No, no, that's not right. Back to Ted. Ah, yes, there it is. That's the ticket. I fly higher and higher. My back is arched and I'm cleared for a landing. When I hear something snap in my neck, a sharp pain shoots across my shoulder. Heart attack? No, more orthopedic. I strain something. Ooh, I get up and walk around the room. I do a few yoga stretches. Wow, this really hurts. I set the intruder on the bedside table and I run downstairs and shout to Dave in the basement that he needs to come up right away. Dave massages my shoulder and neck for a couple of minutes, but the pain increases. It's as if a tiny soldier from Ned at the Museum is holed up in my shoulder with a rifle. When he shoots, the bullet goes down my arm and out my elbow. What the hell did you do, Dave asks. Well, I was making the bed, I say, which is sort of true. You better call the doctor, Dave says. You might have a pinched nerve, or worse. As I'm about to dial my internist, the back doorbell rings. When I go to answer it, I am surprised to see Dolly out of her car and dressed to the nines. She's got eyeglasses on, a pencil skirt, and a snappy houndstooth blazer. With her is Owen Hamish, her boss. We're here to check out your house, she says, pushing past me and stepping into the kitchen with Owen. Dave and Owen shake hands. Oh my God, Dolly, I say, I completely forgot that you were coming. I did something to my neck and I have to go to the doctor like right now. Don't worry, she says confidently. I know this house well enough to show myself around. She looks at our breakfast dishes still in the kitchen sink. It's usually neater than this, she says to Owen Hamish. I'll show you around, Dave says, and the three of them disappear around a corner. Nobody seems the least bit concerned that I'm suffering from what could be a serious injury. The doctor's office tells me to come to urgent care immediately. Two hours later, I'm back with prescriptions for Percocet and Naproxen and a preliminary diagnosis of a herniated cervical disc. Orgasms, as it turns out, can be dangerous. How'd you make out, Dave asks. They think it's a herniated disc. I have tons of drugs and they want me to have an MRI. How did you make out with Dolly and Owen? Tough to say what they thought of the house or even what they can get for us. Owen didn't talk too much, but they did whisper a lot when they saw that our bed wasn't made. They also saw your vibrator on the nightstand, Paulette. It was still running. Say, is that how you... Uh, I'm not sure, I say quickly. I told you to go easy with that thing, Dave says. It was as hot as hell. It might have caught fire. It's a bad habit that's gotten out of control, I say. 
Second time I've heard that today, Dave says, as I finger a Percocet. What do you have there? Big, bad drugs, I say. I think I need one. It's all right. I'll pick up the kids, Dave says. Take a half of one and lie down, why don't you? But I can't lie down because it hurts. So I take half a Percocet and go to my computer. I check Twitter, and it's all tweets about anal sex still. Ugh, gross. Who are these people? The Percocet is starting to kick in. I head to Indeed.com to browse available jobs. Hey, all these jobs look pretty good. I hit apply for every one of them. Maybe the word apply is stuck in my head as the name for biscuits deodorant. And this is Pavlovian. Whatever it is, I can't stop. And all prospects sound possible. As I compose a cover letter promoting my skill set to be the director of the Heathwood Nursing Home, the phone rings. It's Bertie, my 90-year-old girlfriend, and she's very excited. Paulette, we got jobs, she says. Who got jobs, I ask. Howard and I did. We're going to work in the food department at Costco. We were in training all day and we start tonight. There's a big food event. You you and Dave should come. I feel a pang of envy. Bertie and Howard, both in their early 90s, are now gainfully employed. This could work in my favor as there might be an opportunity down the road to hawk biscuits deodorant at Costco. I'll be there tonight, I say, and hang up. The last job online I apply for is a new business position in life sciences with the British consulate. Then I crawl into the den and pass out on the sofa. I dream beautiful but disturbing and salacious dreams orchestrated by the Percocet. I wake up with a start from a dream where I'm having unbelievable sex with a wonderful man who turns out to be Lorne Michaels. After we feed the kids, Dave decides not to go on the Costco trip because he doesn't want to rack up extra babysitting charges. You go, he says. Like this, I say? I'm really out of it from the Percocet. You're all right, he says. Get your keys. He conducts a sobriety test on me in the driveway, which I pass, but barely. I manage to get my half-stoned, broken body down to Costco, which is about four miles away. An elderly man stops me on the way in. Card, please, he asks. Oh, I forgot mine, I say. I'm just here to see some friends in the food department. You can't go in without a card, the man says. You have to go to customer service. But what if I'm just visiting, I ask. That's what everyone says. This isn't like Monopoly, miss. I go to the customer service area where there's a huge line. Off to the side, at a window where there is no line, I see a stack of job applications. The sign above says, Apply. I stagger toward it, moth to flame. Probably shouldn't be driving after all. I fill in the application with a number two pencil. Yet another bad habit that's gotten way out of control. You're listening to Eric Fontana. The light outside is growing dim And I am going home I've been to work on time each day And now my work is done I climb the stairs to your 
Turkish fart. Till then, ta-ta. Your chair is mine.